Hi everyone. So welcome to the live stream today. Very much excited for having you on the second session in our discussion for IFRS 9 financial instrument. We started with a discussion yesterday looking at the core principles that we need to understand and the key issues that we need to pay attention to when it comes to dealing with financial instruments generally. We took away three key fundamental principles that I mentioned that are going to be bedrock when it comes to all the pillars upon which we're going to be building our understanding on IFRS 9. And that is number one, you have to always understand whether the entity in question, the entity whose financial statement we are preparing is actually the one issuing the financial instrument or selling the financial instrument. Then we need to also find out the entity's financial statement we are preparing. Are they the one rather buying or they are the one rather acquiring? Because no, whatever it is that the examiner presents to us, if the entity is issuing, then we are likely to have either a financial liability or an equity instrument uh, coming in in that particular case. Then we went to the second critical principle and that is where we mentioned that uh, when the entity is issuing then we need to find out should they recognize the instrument as an equity instrument or as a debt instrument as a financial liability then we said to answer that question we need to ask ourselves another golden rule question and that golden rule question is to find out does the entity have an obligation to repay the financial liability or the instrument that they have issued if yes they have an obligation then they have to recognize a financial liability but if no, they have no obligation, then the entity would have to recognize an equity instrument. That was the second pillar we established yesterday. And then the third pillar that we established yesterday was the treatment of transaction cost. We made mention of the fact that when it comes to transaction cost, it is either going to be treated in the profit or loss account, especially if we are dealing with uh, a financial asset, it is either going to be treated as an expenses in the profit or loss account. That is, if we are carrying the financial asset at fair value through PL. But if you are carrying the financial asset at fair value through OCI, then any transaction cost we incurred must be added or included in the initial cost of the asset. But we mentioned that if it is a debt instrument we are dealing with and it is a financial liability debt instrument, then certainly what is going to be happening is that any transaction cost is going to be put into uh or reading off against the liability in that case. So we established the principle that you must know when do we add transaction cost and when do we subtract transaction cost and when do we put it in the statement of profit or loss. So these were the three pillars that we established yesterday on the introduction to IFRS 9. And today we want to continue with our discussion on that. We we're going to look at some questions relating to the financial liability, financial assets. Then we will go to the financial liability and then share our thoughts on the compound financial instrument or when an entity issues a convertible loan note. So I see some of you guys joining. You are welcome to the live stream. Give me a thumbs up on the video. Share the video. Let us reach as many students as possible. Most importantly, if there are any questions you have, put it in the chat for me, or for those of you on YouTube or the comment section for me, for those of you who are joining us on Facebook. I want to hear from you. Let me know the things that you would want us to cover on the channel as we get excited towards the examination. Remember, five more weeks to go. And in our executive revision masterclass, we are in the second week because we started our executive revision masterclass a little bit earlier uh, this semester. So we are in the second week for our executive revision masterclass. It's a special time on Saturdays and Sundays where I spend time with the students. We solve specific questions, deal with specific issues that are going to be representing in the exam hall. So let's get excited and let me share my screen and let's go into it straight up. I see some comments coming in. Let's see uh, what we have here. Uh, Abdullah Bampa said, welcome, sir. Always a pleasure, Abdullah. Thanks for joining me on the live stream. You 
We are happy meeting you. Always a pleasure, Abdullah. Joseph Mumbi said, hi, my man. You are awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Joseph Mumbi. And then we have uh, who? Labi Benjamin said, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Labi, it's been a long time ahead from you. I hope you are doing well. It's been a long time I hear from ahead from you on the live stream or you join us on the live stream. I hope you're doing well. Labi Benjamin. Emmanuel Anand said, ready to go. Awesome, Emmanuel. Welcome. Uh, Fahad Nuhu said, good work done. Thank you, Fahad. Uh, Oxbeth said, we thank God for another day. Amen. Amen. So remember, you can listen to the audio lectures as well on our podcast uh, platform. So just go everywhere you are, and then you'll be able to get me. Just type Insura Premium, and you will get me there for that. Adonko said, uh, Adongo. I don't know why I said Adonko. It's like I'm familiar, uh, I'm familiar with the ad Adonko. So uh, Adongo said, please, afternoon. I have, sorry, I hope I have not mixed. No, 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 we are now starting. Adongo. All right. I wanted to say I don't I don't go again. Forgive me on that. Okay. So let's go. So we want to start with our discussion straight up. Let me uh take this out. So we want to go straight up with our discussion and look at questions relating to uh financial asset as we established yesterday in that particular case. And let's see what we can do for today. Please stay with me today very well because I'm going to be dropping a lot of nuggets that will save you and help you to understand this topic. Remember I told you yesterday that in my opinion, this is one of the most interesting standards that you can get. It's very simple to understand, but the way it is, sometimes it is, some students find it difficult and find it a bit worrying, but I feel it's a standard that we can really look at for very well. So let's look at our first question. You can take a screenshot of that and then we will get excited about it. The requirement in this question is to explain how each of the above, uh, it's, it's just one uh, it's transaction I took, it's three of them, but I took only one. Explain how the above transaction will be accounted for in the financial statement of the entity. So let's look at it. Norman bought 100,000 shares in a listed entity on 1st November 2015. Each share cost $5 to purchase, and a fee of 0.25 per share was paid as commission to a broker. Was paid as a commission to a broker. The fair value of each share at 31st December 2015 was $3.5. So what is going on here? In this question, we see that the, we, we are told that Norman bought, keyword, bought. If they bought, that means they are buying shares. So that means it is a financial asset. Okay? Because they are buying, it's a financial asset. Not only are they buying, they are buying shares in a listed company. So that is an equity investment. So again, if it is an equity investment, that means there has to be fair value gain or loss. And that fair value gain or loss could be recognized either in PL or could be recognized either in OCI. Now, there is also a transaction cost embedded in the question. So let's see how we can build, uh, bring all of these things up. Again, the question here is quiet. The examiner didn't tell us the purpose for which Norman bought the shares. So we are going to be assuming that Norman bought the shares as a trading purpose. So since the examiner is quiet, we're going to be using the default treatment to recognize this equity investment that Norman has bought in the listed entity. So let's look at the initial recognition of what is happening. 
So initial recognition. So at the initial recognition, remember this is a financial asset. So what is going to be happening is that we are going to be uh, recognizing the financial asset at fair value through P&L. Okay, so we recognize the equity investment. The equity investment. At fair value. Through P&L. Why? Because the question is quiet. Does that make sense? Because the question is quiet. So we recognize it at fair value through PL. What does that mean? It means any transaction cost incurred shall also be written off in the PL account. So the transaction cost incurred shall be written off in the profit or loss. shall be written off in the profit or loss. Now, why am I putting down that English? Because the examiner said, sorry, let's go back. The examiner said we should explain how each of the above transactions or explain how the item will be accounted for. So I want to just put down some English before I get into my calculation. So if that is what we do at initial recognition, then we need to get a number of issues coming up. So let's get a fair value of the shares that we bought. So to get a fair value of the shares, that's going to be 100,000 shares that we bought. Multiply by the uh, cost per share. We are told that it's $5. And so that's going to be 500,000. All right, 500,000. Then there is also a transaction cost. We are told we paid a brokerage commission. So the transaction cost is also going to be 100,000 shares multiplied by the money we paid to the brokerage. That is 0.25 Ghana cities. And that's going to be 25,000 CDs. So that is the fair value of the financial instrument and the transaction cost of the financial instrument for the period under review. For the period under review. Sounds good? Then we go to the journal entry. Now, please know that in the exam hall, you're not going to be doing the journal entry unless otherwise the examiner asks you, are you getting it? But for the purpose of uh, uh, the fact that I'm teaching, I'm going to just do the journal entry for you to see what is happening. So the fair value will be debited to equity investment. That's a financial asset. Please know that even though we are using the word equity investment, that doesn't mean it will go to equity in the statement of financial position. That is something you need to make sure you are really aware of. That doesn't mean to go to equity uh, uh, under equity in the face of, on the face of the statement of financial position. So that's going to be 500000 And then we'll credit whatever, cash or bank with the 500000 So that is the general entry for the fair value. Okay. Then we look at the general entry for the... Uh, Transaction cost. That is going to be debiting profit or loss because we said we are writing it off. We are writing it off, sorry, in the profit or loss. Then we credit cash or bank with a 25,000. So that is the general entry for the initial recognition 
in that case, right? So that is the first thing we need to understand there. Then we are told that on 31st December, the fair value of the shares now is 3.5 Ghana cities. It's $3.5, sorry. So subsequent measurement. Subsequent measurement. So on subsequent measurement at 31st December, so the initial measurement is where we are dealing with uh, the issue about um, the date that the item was bought, 1st November 2015. The subsequent measurement is where we are at the end of the year, 31st December 2015. Okay, so let's look at it. So what is the fair value on this date? Remember, we still have 100,000 shares in the company, but now for some reason, their share price is now $3.5. So that's gonna be $350,000. Now, so if you check, you realize that the closing figure is less than what? The initial fair value. So that means there is a fair value loss And that fair value loss is going to be the difference between the initial value and then the subsequent or the closing value. That's going to give us 150,000. Now, this fair value loss, we said we will recognize it in the PL, being the default approach we are adopting since the examiner was quiet on this question. So journal entry for this fair value loss. We're going to debit P and L with the one fifty thousand, and then we will credit what the equity investment with the one fifty thousand. So that is the general entry for it. But like I said, this is not what the examiner said we should do. The examiner said, how should it be treated in the financial statements? Yeah, the general entry I've done is just like how it should be treated in the financial statement. But let's extract the financial statement proper to see what exactly we need to do in uh, this question, in this question. So let's see. So statement of profit or loss. Assets or for the year ended. Thirty first December twenty fifteen. Remember it is an extract. You want to establish that to the examiner very well. Then we bring in our currency sign. Then under other income. In the statement of profit or loss, we're going to bring fair value loss relating to the uh, subsequent measurement, the 150,000. That will be less because it's an expense. Then, under operating expenses. 
and our operating expenses, we're going to bring our transaction cost. And that was 25000 So that is the statement of profit or loss for this, for this entity. Okay? For this entity. Then we look at the statement of financial position. So statement of financial position. As at 31st December 2015. Remember that is also an extract. And the only thing that is coming here will be the equity investment. There is no three zeros up. Let me cancel it. So under non-current assets. Maybe because it is for trading purposes, it may be under current assets. Do you get the idea? So sometimes it could be under current assets. So equity investment. That's the... 350000 So this is the answer to the question. And that's how we deal with financial asset through profit or loss. Financial asset through profit or loss. Any questions, please? Any questions? I see some of you guys joining. This is the part two of our discussion on IFRS 9, Financial Instrument. Yesterday was part one. In case you missed that, you can check the description of this video on YouTube. You'll be able to watch the part one uh, there. But we are looking at the part two of this one to see exactly what we need to do in that case. To see exactly what we need to do in that case. So if there are any questions, put it in the chat for me. For those of you on YouTube, then you put it in the comment section for me. For those of you who are joining us on Facebook, also. See some comments coming in. Let's see. Mumuni Isaka said, you are the only person I know who can perfectly teach every accounting subject. Sir, you are blessed. Amen. Thank you very much for those kind words. Um, Yuna said, getting good from Tanzania. Welcome, Yuna. Labi said, yes, so said, I'm doing well. I wasn't around, said, okay. Thank God you're good. Uh, L Brown said, wow, nice. Okay, L Brown. I don't know what's amazing for you like that, though, but thanks for the message. Augsburg said, sir, please, is it proper to write the fair value loss under Operating expenses. Uh, yeah, it could be it could be categorized under operating expenses, but if it was a gain, we would have brought it under other income. Does that make sense? If it was a gain, we would have brought it under other income. So if it is a loss, it's it will still be under other income but negated. So for classification purposes, professionally, and to enhance faithful representation of financial statements, it should still be under other income but as negative, as negative, because the other income is where we bring various fair value movement and various other benefit that the entity is getting. So if it is a loss also, 
we're going to put it there as well. So it will be uh, appropriate to enhance paper representation to be part of other income, but still negated rather than putting it under operating expenses. Okay. Then I'm seeing a comment coming in. Let me know if there are any other questions so that I can take them real quick as we continue. Bright IET said, great one, sir. Okay, that's good. Failbet State said, uh, at least said, Pemua from Tanzania. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Okay, so it means we have a couple of people joining us way from Tanzania. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us on the live stream. Please remember to share the video with your friends and colleagues. We want to really reach a lot of people. We have a lot of content on this channel that can help them in that case. Martin said, please go. Can you go over? Go over. Yo, let me go over here. <laughs> That's what we have. Uh, let's, let's go over for Martin in that case. Uh, normal bot shares. So immediately we hear the word bot. It means it's a financial asset of the records, right? And what did they buy? They bought shares. So it means it's an equity investment they are having. Okay. It's an equity investment. Okay. So they bought it at $5 per share. So initial recognition, because the question is quiet, we said we will recognize the equity investment at fair value through PL. For that reason, any transaction cost that is incurred is going to be what? Written off in the profit or loss account in that particular case, in the profit or loss in that particular case. Then, for that reason, we said the fair value is going to be 100,000 times five. That's going to be 500,000. But the entity incurs a transaction cost. They paid a broker, uh, a broker, sorry, brokerage commission of 0.25. That commission was paid to a broker. So, that is going to be $25,000. Now, we said the journal entry is that we debit financial asset or equity investment with $500,000 being the fair value. And then we credit cash or bank or payables. Whatever it is we have to credit, it will be credited. Then the transaction cost must be written off in the P&L account. So we debit profit or loss and credit what? The cash and the bank for the period under review. Now, that is the initial recognition. On the date we bought the financial instrument, and that is first November 2015. Now, on subsequent measurement, which is at the end of the year, what we are seeing is that the fair value of the shares now is $3.5 per share. So we still hold 100,000 shares. So that is going to trade at $50,000. It means there is a fair value loss of about 150,000. That fair value loss must be taken to the profit or loss account because we said we are using the default approach carrying it at fair value through P&L. Sounds good? So that was the general entry you see there by debiting profit or loss and crediting the equity investment. But like I said, 99.9% .9 of the time, the examiner is not going to be asking us to do general entries, but we're going to be extracting the financial statements. And that is what you see here as under other income, we bring in the fair value loss, 150000 but it's going to be in brackets because it's a loss. Then under operating expenses, we bring the transaction cost there at uh, $25,000 in that case. Then in the statement of financial position under non-current asset, we bring in the equity investment at $350,000. That was where I was saying that maybe because we are assuming it is for trading purposes and it's for a short term, it could be less than 12 months. So we could put that equity investment properly under current assets rather than under non-current assets on the face of the statement of financial 
position. Martin, does that make sense? Let me know if it does. Momosa, Mamosa said, hello, I miss a lot due to load shedding here in South. Which South is that? South Africa, you have load shedding, meaning like you don't have power. Sorry about that. Thought we are only the people in Ghana here having power problem, but it's like you also have some sorry about that. But welcome back. We've not done that much. Uh, what we've done is what I've gone through again. Abdullah Bampa said, thank you, sir. I have really understand this entries. Thank you once again. Always a pleasure, Bampa. Uh, Martin, let me know if that makes sense for you. Some Israel said, well done, sir. Thank you, some. Okay, so that is the first question we are looking out for there in that particular case. That's the first question we are looking out for there in that case. So let's build on. Now that we've dealt with equity investment, what if the company buys a debt instrument? Usually, when a company buy, buys a debt instrument, then on the subsequent measurement, the debt instrument must be carried at amortized cost. So that was where... I mean, a couple of people were coming from uh, last week. Sorry, yesterday. So financial instruments at amortized cost. Financial instruments at amortized cost. So usually when an entity buys a debt instrument, then what is going to be happening is that we have to carry the financial instrument at what? Amortized cost. We have to carry the financial instrument at amortized cost. Now, when we say we are carrying the financial instrument at amortized cost, what exactly do we mean? What exactly do we mean? It means that you put your schedule up like this, balance brought forward. Then you're going to be bringing in your issue about finance income. Because it's a financial asset, we will receive income. Then we're going to be bringing in... Uh, the interest received. I want you to stay with me on this pro forma. Then we get a closing balance here. So this is the format for the amortized cost. Please know that the finance income will be based on the effective rate on the loan notes. And that is always higher than the interest received, which is the, on the coupon rate. Okay? which is on the coupon rate. So you're going to bring your opening balance, get your interest on that usually, get your, uh, get your finance income, get your interest received, and then you get a closing balance. This closing balance is what goes to the statement of financial position. And I'm going to take a question right now to explain this. But what I want you to understand is that when an entity buys a debt instrument, on the subsequent measurement, the debt instrument will be accounted for at amortized cost. And this is how we deal with the amortized cost. You bring the opening balance, add your finance income, then you less the interest received, and then you get the uh, balance carried down in that particular case. Note, the interest received, which you are less in, is based on the coupon rate. That is the interest rate uh, on the bond. But then there is what we call effective rate. There are sometimes... Uh, uh, effective rate is going to be usually higher than the coupon rate usually. The reason is, is that sometimes uh, the entity may issue a deep discount bond, so they will pay you small interest every year, but on redemption, they will give you a huge sum of money, and so the effective rate 
it is they will be giving you every year. every year in that case so tech that is um i think my yeah emmanuel yes i see that i think my network is messing me up empty it's trying to mess me up on the stream but i think i'm back let me know if i'm still breaking let me know if i'm still breaking cannot even refresh my page Okay, so Martin said I'm okay, so all right. Is my voice still up or, or I'm still breaking? Which is which? Let me know. Because I can it's more, more or less like I cannot refresh. My browser here. Okay. Okay. Emmanuel said better now. All right. Okay, so Abdullah said, go ahead, say we are learning. Okay. Okay, let's see. I should be stable now. My internet speed, it's okay here. Okay, I think I should be back. I'm currently watching from Darazo local government in Bauchi State, Nigeria. Okay, that's fine. Isaac Ofori said, hi, I said, I trust 
I'm not too late. Ah, we've done a couple of things, so you can watch the playback. Isaac, you and Frank today, I think you are late a little. So, like I was saying, we I think I'm back, so my stream should be good now. Okay, Emmanuel, thank you. So let's go. So I was saying that the finance income, that is the effective rate that is going to go into the PL account, not the coupon rate. Please pay attention to that very well. Not the coupon rate. Not the coupon rate. Not the coupon rate. That is very, very important in that particular case. So it is not the coupon rate that goes to the PL. It is the effective rate, the finance income receivable, that is what will go into the PL. So this is where you have to be careful because if you are preparing single entity financial statement, sometimes the examiner or the entity will include the coupon rate rather in their PL. In that case, you have to look at the effective rate and then you add the difference back to what they have already included in their PNL account. And then the current amount is what goes to the statement of financial position. Okay. So let me bring a question up real quick. Then you see how we what we mean by this. Now remember that if the entity buys a debt instrument, listen carefully. If the entity buys a debt instrument, then what is going to be happening is that any transaction cost incurred shall be included in the initial cost of the debt instrument. Remember that we established that yesterday, and I'm repeating that to you today. So let's crunch some numbers. Let's take a question to see how we can make sense of what I just mentioned. So let me bring up this question. Please, uh, again, like I said, all questions that I'm solving are coming from my book on corporate reporting and financial reporting. And we have these structured carefully in the book. So let's go. What is the interest income in the profit or loss for the year ended 31st December 20x2, 31st December 20x2. Now, so be careful here, and let's see how we're going to be looking at this. It says, Zebedee Company purchased, did you hear that? Purchased, purchased, purchased. So if they purchased, what, are, what is that? It's a financial asset. The purchased is the financial asset. A deep discount bond. Now, uh, if you are a financial management student, a deep discount bond is simply a bond that is really uh, bought at a lower price usually and has a lower interest rate every year. But what happens is that in the at the date of redemption or on the date of redemption, a premium is paid on the bond at the end of the day. But it, it's a cheaper bond and they pay interest every year, small, small. But on the date of redemption, they pay you premium on the debt in that particular case. So they bought a deep discount bond. Okay, if they bought a bond, that is a debt instrument they are buying. So if they are buying a debt instrument, in my mind, then I, the principle must drop. What is the principle? The principle is that if the entity is buying a debt instrument, that means any transaction cost they incur, what do I do? I have to include it in the initial cost of the debt instrument. Sounds good? 
have to include it in the initial cost of the debt instrument. Okay, so let's see. With a par value of $500,000 on 1st January 20X1. Now, remember the requirement of the question said we should calculate the interest income on 31st December 20X2. But a company is buying the thing on 1st January 20X1. Now, par value is the same as the face value of the bond. That is a quoted value of the bond. But because it is a deep discount bond, it says for a proceeds of $440 with the intention of holding it until the redemption value, until the redemption value received. So they are going to be holding it to maturity generally in that particular case. They will hold it to maturity generally in that particular case. So what is going to be happening here? It means that the examiner said the annual coupon payment is 5%. So 5% is the coupon rate. Okay, the coupon rate. And the coupon rate will be expressed always on the face value of the bond. The coupon rate will be expressed always on the face value of the bond. Very, very important on the face value of the bond. But it says payable on 31st December, meaning it's payable in arrears at the end of the year. Zebide Co. incurred transaction cost of 5867. Oh, okay. So if they incurred a transaction cost, that means I have to include it in the initial cost of what? The debt instrument. I hope that makes sense. Then what is going to be happening is that the bond will be redeemed on 31st December at par, meaning at the nominal value meaning at the nominal value. So what, what, what is going to happen here? Please know that bonds can be redeemed at par, meaning at the nominal value of 500000 at a premium, meaning higher than the 500000 or at a discount, meaning lower than the 500000 So these are the three ways that bonds can be redeemed, either at par, at premium, or at a discount. The effective rate on the bond has been calculated to be what? Or at 9.3 percent 9.3 percent so you see that the coupon rate is five percent the effective rate is 9.3 percent like i told you earlier the effective rate will always be higher than the coupon rate so let's see how we present this particular one in the books of zebedee co so zebedee co Let's do the initial recognition of the equity instrument, sorry, of the debt instrument. So the initial recognition is going to be the issue about the fair value, how much we paid for the bond. In the question, we are told that the fair value proceeds is 440,000. So we paid for 40000 even though the bond had a face value of what? 500000 because it's a deep discount bond. Then we bring in the transaction cost we incurred, which is going to be an amount of 5867 So that becomes the initial amount for the bond that we have to recognize in our books. 440, 
And I'm getting 445867. So do you see that here we are not writing off any transaction cost in PL? Do you see that here we are not subtracting the transaction cost? Why? If the if ZPD was the one issuing, we would have subtracted the transaction cost. If ZBD was the one issuing, that is a financial liability, would have subtracted the transaction cost. But ZBD is buying. So we add the transaction cost in arriving at the initial value of the debt instrument. I hope you are getting the picture. So let's look at it on subsequent measurement. On subsequent measurement, we're going to look at the amortized cost schedule. Now, even though from the requirements of the question, the examiner said we should do 31st December 20X2, I'm going to present it for the entire three years because, I mean, the bond will be redeemed in three years. So you see how each of these will be looked at generally. So I'm going to work in a columnar form. So we will have 20X1, 20X2, 20X3. Let's rule some lines coming in like this. Then uh, we're going to have so I'm going to present the amortized cost in, a, in, a, in, in this format like this, slash in my currency sign. Here. Then we bring in the balance brought forward, which is the opening balance. And the balance brought forward is the initial recognition for the first year, 445867. Then we bring in our finance income. So if you know it, this horizontal presentation is what I am turning up to be a vertical presentation here. Then we bring in the finance income. Now, we said the finance income will be at the effective rate. So that will be at a rate of 9.3%. Okay, so we do 9.3% on the 445867. On the 445867. That will give us 41466. That's the finance cost. Then we bring in the amount of money that we will uh, receive at the end of the day, basically. And that is going to be an amount of, um, so if you check, when we go here, it will be the what? Interest received. So we're going to bring in the interest received. So the interest received, we said this will be on the coupon rate. If you remember, that is 5%. Note, like I showed you here, the coupon rate will be under 500,000. The coupon rate will be under 500,000. So we take 5% 5 of the 500,000 and that gives us 25,000. So you subtract that. Okay? You subtract that. So when we subtract that, we get a carrying amount. So that is the balance at the end of the year for 31st December each year. And so when you do the arithmetic, we are going to get uh, 462. Three, three, three. 
0.462333. Now, if you should go with the horizontal approach, it's going to be the same idea. You can present that or turn it horizontally, and then you should be able to get the same answer coming in. Now, that closing balance for 20x1 becomes opening for 20x2. So 462333. Three, three. Remember, 20x2 is what the examiner is even asking us to do in this question. So finance income will be 5.3, sorry, 9.3 on the 462333. Three, three. And that will give us 42997. Remember, the interest received every year, it is still going to be 25,000 on the coupon rate. Then we get a carrying amount at the end of the year. That's 480. 333. 330. That closing balance for 20x2 becomes opening for 20x3. So 480, we take 9.3% of that 480330, and that's 44670. Again, the interest received every year still 25,000, and the balancing figure there will be 500,000, which is the amount the person uh, we will receive, ZBD Limited will receive at the end of the year. So, this is what you must understand about it so if we look at the requ requirements of the question he says you calculate there let's go back to the question he says what is the interest income so the interest income is going to be four two nine nine seven four two nine nine seven so that is what we mean by the debt instruments that's what we mean by debt instruments benjamin said got it right say okay can you make the table vertical instead? Okay, like I said, vertically you could you could do it and you should get the same thing. Well understood. I usually use the horizontal though. Okay, that's fine. So whether whether whatever you use, whether vertical or horizontal, it's it's gonna be the same thing. So this whole aspect of the finance income is what is gonna go into the PL account. And the carrying amount is what to go to the statement of financial position. Okay? Statement of financial position. So let's extract the financial statement for this question and then let's see exactly what we can do in that particular case. Any questions, please put it in the chat for me. So, statement of profit or loss. Just an extract in a columnar form for. The three years. So 20x1, 20x2, 20x3, slashing our currency sign. So you realize that here, the only thing that is going to come will be other income. And we're going to have the finance income from here coming in there. From our workings, 41446, or 466 rather, 41466, 42997, 
And then the last one is 44690, 670 rather. Does that make sense? So that is what comes to the PL for each of the years under review under other income. Under other income. Under other income. Then we go to the issue in relation to the statement of financial position. So in the statement of financial position, again, 20x1, 20x2, 20x3, we will have non-current assets. And then we'll bring in the debt instrument that they have bought. 5% deep discount bond. We can just say 5% bond. The carrying amounts will be brought. 462333. 333. Okay, in that case. But then uh, in the second year, because the bond will be paid or will be received in the third year, in the second year, we can put it under current assets. So in the second year, we'll have 5% bond like this. So in the second year, 48330. In the third year, it may not be available. Nothing will be there because we would have received the money. Okay? We would have received the money in that particular case. Oxbeth said, please, since we are purchasing, what do we need the effective interest rate for? I, I think I've explained this already. I said the effective interest rate is the interest rate actually implicit in the bond. The coupon rate is what you receive every year. But there are certain bonds, the nature of the bond makes it such that on redemption, they pay you premium. So if on redemption you are going to receive a premium, that means they are paying you, sorry, they are paying you every year less amount of interest so that at the end, they rather put it together and give you a huge amount of money at the end of the day. So the effective rate is coming in due to the nature of the bond and the fact that annually you will be receiving less amount of interest than similar bonds. But then at the end of the year, you are going to be receiving a huge sum of money. If you look at this question on ZBD, Oxbet, you realize that the face value of the bond is 500,000. But when we were buying, we paid 440. Do you get the, the idea? We paid 440. But we have been told that on the date of redemption, we will receive it at par, which is the 500,000. So you are paying 440, but after three years, they will give you 500,000. What does that mean? It means every year, they are giving you 5% of the coupon rate. But that means you are not receiving 5%. You are, you are supposed to receive something more than 5% so that it will add up to the 440 to give you the 500,000. That is where the effective rate what comes in. Does that make sense, Oxbet? It's because of the nature of the bond 
That is why effective rate is coming in. And it is something that is built up so that on redemption, you receive a huge sum of money. Oxbeth, let me know if that makes sense for you. Okay, so let's look at... So that's all about financial assets. Very sweet, simple, straight to the point. I hope it makes sense to everybody. Let's look at the second leg, that is financial liability. Financial liability. So in financial assets, we are saying that we, we are the ones buying. Okay, clear now. All right. That's good. So in financial assets, sorry, in financial liability, what's going to happen is that the entity is what? Issuing. The entity is the one selling. Okay? So the entity issued, the entity sold. So that is where we are at. So if we hear the entity sold, the entity issued, that's where we are. Does that make sense? That's financial liability. Now, just like how in financial assets, we had a couple of categories based on how we will initially recognize it in that particular case. Okay, so let, let me see. Martin is asking a question. If it's premium, how will it be treated? Uh, usually, in the context of financial assets, it, it will not affect our financial statements. Because uh, technically, what is going to happen is that uh, on redemption, the value is going to be the same. The, the, will be the amount that is receivable. So redemption, the premium is going to come in because of redemption, which is the final date. And so when we are dealing with financial assets, even the way the bond is redeemed, we, we don't care about it. All we care about is the coupon rate and the effective rate. It is when you are in financial liability that the, the way it should be redeemed will be a matter of concern. Okay, but in, the, in this scenario, if they are supposed to redeem at a premium, that means that the rate would have changed in a certain way so that at the end of the day, the carrying amount will be equal to the premium, including the nominal value that they are supposed to receive. Martin, do you get the idea? So if it is at a premium, the rate will be in such a way that when you do the calculation, the closing figure, the last figure here at the bottom here, will be equal to the nominal value and the premium. So the rate will be suited in that manner. But because this one, it is redeemed at par, that is why the rate is like that. And at the end of the day, we'll get a 500000 So when we are in financial assets, the way it is redeemed, it's not really our concern. It is the effective rate and the coupon rate that we have to be thinking about. Does that make sense? So when it comes to financial liabilities also, Okay, that's fine. So when it comes to financial liabilities also, there are a couple of things that we need to understand there. Let me bring up my slide on that real quick. And then take you through a number of things. So there are what we call types of financial liabilities. Usually we have two types of financial liabilities that we need to look out for in that particular case. And so this is a table presentation that I have here. So you see type of financial liability. You see the initial measurement, and you see the subsequent measurements. Please stay with me carefully here. Stay with me carefully here. Uh, the first type of financial instruments are 
most financial liabilities, what you are familiar with, like trade payables, like loans, like preference shares, all these are classified as what? Liabilities. When an entity issues loans, the initial measurement is the fair value less what? Transaction cost. If you remember, I said, if the entity is issuing any transaction cost, what do we do? Any transaction cost is going to be subtracted from the fair value. Then on subsequent measurement, we will carry it at amortized cost. We will carry it at amortized cost in that particular case. Okay. So here, the way the amortized cost schedule works here is just similar to what we just did, but the weddings will just be different. So we'll have balance brought forward like this coming up. Then we'll bring in interest payable. Then we'll bring in the interest that is paid, actually. Then we'll bring in the balance carry forward or balance carry down. Again, interest payable will be on the effective rate, <laughs> as you know here. And then the interest paid will be on the coupon rate. Does that make sense? It will be on the coupon rate in that particular case. So we have the effective rate, we have the coupon rate. Unlike financial assets where we are dealing with finance income and interest received, here we will deal with interest payable and then interest paid. Note that here also it is the interest payable that goes to the PL accounts as finance cost. Okay, as finance cost because we are issuing. So it will go to the PL account as finance cost as finance cost then the credit side will go to the uh, the closing balance is what goes to the statement of financial position as usually non-current liability because it's a liability you are you are owing the entity please don't don't you are not splitting anything between current liability and non-current liability now nah, we don't do that in financial instruments we only do that in ifrs 16 leases because some of you when you see amortized costs now you are trying to divide between current liability and non-current liability we do current liability and non-current liability if we are dealing with leases but in financial instruments is the whole current amount that is taken there does that make sense? So this is how the amortized cost schedule is going to be like and how the items are going to be classified and treated for the entity. Then we come to the second category. So the, uh, I, 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 I categorize them into two. Uh, the first one are the most financial liabilities, what you are familiar with, and usually we carry them at amortized cost. But then there are other classes of financial liabilities that an entity can carry at fair value through profit or loss. At fair value through profit or loss. What's going to be happening is that these are financial liabilities that are held for trading purposes, like short-term uh, profit-making financial liabilities. So maybe the entity issued the bond and they are going to be redeeming it within the shortest possible time in that particular case. In that, or some derivatives that are liabilities. Now, if you are familiar with derivatives, this is where we are talking about issues like forward contracts, currency features, 
All these things are financial instruments. Currency swaps, these are all financial instruments. So if the entity issues and engages in some of these things for trading purposes, then we won't go by the traditional approach. What we will do is that it will be carried at fair value through PL. Okay, so initial recognition will be carried at fair value. Then any transaction cost in that case will be expensed in the profit or loss account. Now, uh, I don't know if the examiner will test you that for financial reporting students, uh, but the idea here is that it is where the entity is engaging in some derivative instrument for trading purposes. Okay, so derivative instrument for trading purposes. So whatever, the entity issues some bonds, but for a short term, and they will redeem it back. Then in that case, the transaction cost that they incur will be written off in the PL. For that reason, any fair value gain or loss will be recognized also in PL. You don't do amortized cost schedule because usually these derivative financial instruments, the market determines the price. Okay, the market determines the price for these kind of derivative financial instruments. So these are the two classes or types of. Uh, derivative, sorry, of financial instruments that you need to be aware of and know about. What do we have? Richmond or say, said, said, please go. Can you go over the amortized cost calculation again? This is what we are saying. So we are saying that if we are dealing with financial liability, we bring the balance brought forward there, right? Then we bring in interest payable. That will be the second thing. Then we will look at the interest paid. Then we'll get a closing balance. We are saying that the interest payable will be, we will use the effective rates. And that will go to the PL account as finance cost. Because remember, we are the ones issuing. Okay, we are the ones issuing. So that will go to the PL account as finance cost. Then interest paid. That will be based on the coupon rates. And so when we subtract that from the addition of the two, we get a closing balance that goes to the statement of financial position and usually will be under non-current liability. Does that make sense, uh, Richmond or say, Mensa? Let me know if that makes sense for you. Richmond, not Richard. So that is the issue about that one there. That is the issue about that one there. Now, so there are a number of general entries that we can uh, make uh, when it comes to this particular issue in that particular case. Like I said, I've already explained the amortized cost schedule. That is what you see in my slide here from my book. That's what you see here. I've already explained that to you in that case. So what's going to happen is that the finance cost is an expenses. So it goes to the PNL. Richmond, uh, if you are still on, let me know if the explanation makes sense for you. Okay. Richmond said that's fine. Okay. So that is the idea about that. That is the idea about that. So let's crunch some numbers real quick on this one. Let me bring it up. Let's crunch some numbers on this one. And let's see how 
we apply the principle. Now the requirement here is for us to calculate the amount to be shown in the statement of financial position and in the statement of profit or loss for 31st December 2021 of the debentures on 31st December 2021 of the debentures. So that is a question that we're going to be looking out for in that case. But unfortunately, because of time constraints, I'll be jumping off uh, today on the live stream here. God willing, tomorrow we're going to be uh, continuing with it and then do the last part. So tomorrow we will take this question, then we'll look at compound financial instruments, and that'll be the last part. Then there are other issues like factoring. I'll talk about all of those ones uh, tomorrow as the final part for financial instruments. And uh, that'll be all about it. I hope that it makes sense. You are getting the principles right. Like I said, this is one of the interesting standards that you need to understand because of the fact that it's going to be there some way, somehow, as a dedicated question or as something on its own. So I'm going to conclude around here because of time constraints. We have our management accounting class coming on pretty shortly. So I'll be concluding around here. And God willing, tomorrow I'll be coming your way again as we uh, continue with our discussion. Um, Emmanuel is saying, what about equity? We will look at complex uh, issue of convertible loan notes. That's the last part we will look at tomorrow. After we solve this question, we'll look at convertible loan notes. And that is where uh, we will deal with equity and uh, debt together coming in there. Because equity comes in if we are issuing convertible loan notes. But if we are buying shares, that is a financial asset. We've already dealt with that. So if you're talking about equity from the perspective of where the entity is issuing uh, convertible loan notes, we will look at that God willing tomorrow under compound financial instrument or what we call hybrid financial instrument. And we will see how we can deal with that particular one. I hope that makes sense. So that is the issue about that. And that is what you need to understand when we talk about financial instruments. So thank you very much for joining us on the uh, live stream today. Raymond said, if you debit P&L with fair value loss and the expenses, will you be wrong uh and uh under what kind of expenses like under operating expenses like i said for um how do we call it for profession for, for faithful representation it will be appropriate to rather be under other income rather than under operating expenses okay it will be appropriate for faithful representation of the financial statement for faithful representation of the financial statement Okay, so just for paper representation for financial statement, it could be better. Because like I said, if it was a gain, you would bring it under other income. Sounds good. If it was a gain, you would bring it under other income. So if you bring something under other income, then if it is a loss, it should definitely still be under the other income in that case. All right, then that's fine. John Bauer said, are uh, FA financial asset at amortized cost fair value no 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 uh it, it doesn't happen because it's a debt instrument okay it's a debt instrument so it is usually carried at amortized cost nonetheless if the debt instrument is listed on an active stock exchange market then it could be carried at fair value 
Does that make sense? So if the debt is issued on uh, an active stock market and the fair value can be reliably measured, then alternatively, instead of using the amortized cost schedule, the entity may use the fair value approach for the debt instrument. And in that case, any gain or loss on the debt instrument subsequently will be recognized either in the PL account if you are doing fair value through PL or in the OCI if we are doing fair value through OCI. So, yes, it could be valued at fair value if the debt stock is on an active market and the fair value of the debt stock can be determined in that case. So, John Bauer, that's possible. Martin said, well done, sir. Thank you, Martin. Uh, Richmond said, thanks, sir. Always a pleasure. And then Enisu said, thank you, sir. Good night. Enisu, good night. Take care of yourself. I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. Isaac said, great delivery. This is really service to God. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you, uh, Isaac. My regards to prepare. Uh, Frank, uh, at the office, I know probably you are watching together. So thank you very much. I will catch you tomorrow as we look at the concluding aspect. Please don't miss tomorrow. You don't want to miss tomorrow. So join me tomorrow, same time at 4.30 p.m. as we continue with the discussion. I'm going to look at the final part of the whole discussion that is compound financial instrument. And it has some interesting treatments there. And then we will try to bring this whole financial instrument, IFRS 19, to a closure. And it is my hope that you will get the understanding pretty well. And when you go to the exam hall, you will be able to answer the question well, relating to the standard at least, so you'll be in a better position to pass the exams. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you same time tomorrow. Bye-bye.